What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Down the Drive podcast. I am Mike Schneider, joined by Scotty Whitehouse. We appreciate you listening. I know this is only our second episode of 2020, but we're definitely going to start to pick it up a little bit, especially as we head into March. Saturday night, Cincinnati got its biggest men's basketball win of the season, biggest win of the John Brandon era, and it's one that all of a sudden, despite my confident proclamation on our last episode that this was not a tournament team, all of a sudden now the Bearcats are squarely in the conversation for a 10th straight NCAA tournament. I think there's still a lot of work to be done. You can't slip up. You still have to win a couple of big games. But all of a sudden, something that, in my opinion, looked impossible a month ago is more than a realistic possibility. This game, uh, by all indications, was awesome. I actually missed the first 30 minutes of it. I caught the last 10. So all I know is that the Bearcats dominated because all I saw was a 26-9 to run and Houston missing all of their shots. But, Scotty, you were there. I mean, was that the loudest and craziest you've seen, at least in, like, the new renovated fifth third? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you had uh, – and welcome, folks. Thanks for uh, joining. Um, obviously, you had – when Xavier was in town um, – two years ago in town, quote unquote, huh? when they were at fifth third, um, that was loud, but UC dominated in that. It was more just loud because it was the crosstown shootout, right? Um, Tennessee was loud, but you could tell that this game meant so much more than the, the Tennessee game. Um, this was a crowd that from the very get go, um, the entire arena was just buzzing. And even when they got down to 15, you know, th- there was never a chance. I, I never saw fans just, uh, you know, kind of get on their phones. A lot of times I can see it when I, I have season tickets. So I'm at every single game when we're beating Tulsa by 30, uh, you know, I see first all the place Tulsa, by the way. Yeah. First place Tulsa by 30. Everyone's <laughs> on their phones. Everyone's kind of chit chatting, whatever. That was never the case last night. Everybody was glued in. Um, ready to go. Any sort of, um, the, there was never, I saw on Bearcats Twitter, which I know we'll talk about, which people were basically giving up on the game, you know, at yeah. halftime. Uh, they were giving up the season. I saw NIT. I saw a whole bunch of stuff thrown out and I, which really pissed me off. But in the stands, nobody was saying anything. They were so into the game. And I absolutely 100% believe this game was changed because of the crowd. I don't, I, I think the team itself, played fantastic and they obviously did all the work, but they the crowd absolutely had an impact on this game. And then if you ask all the players and the coaches, they absolutely said that too. I did mean, Trey Scott said, Oh yeah. Trey Scott said we needed the crowd. He said about seven or eight minutes left to go in the game. You could tell, he said, you could tell that Houston started to play on the ball on, on their, on the backs and the feet. They were, they're freaking out. They didn't really understand what to do because the crowd was in it, but it even they took it to another level, which was awesome. Yeah, and that seven, eight minute mark about where I had kind of uh tuned into it, the announcers were even saying like you could sense the desperation from the crowd and the players are feeding off of that desperation. That they kept saying, like, you could tell that the crowd knows that like this is it. And it it was, in my opinion. If you don't win that game last night, you're not making the NCAA tournament because we might lose at Houston. We might lose a couple of games along the way. But winning last night gives you a slight margin of error now for the rest of the season. And, yeah, they just they needed a signature win, and this was it. And it was just such an unbelievable comeback that everything went – well, almost everything went right. Free throws didn't go right, but almost everything went right. And, yeah, 
I mean, you could just tell that this place was buzzing on TV. Yeah, so it, it was good in a sense of that this is – I don't think Houston's going to go anywhere. You know, we beat Tennessee. That was still sort of in the early part of the season, and we didn't really know where Tennessee really was. I even was sitting near a Tennessee guy in that game, and I asked him, well, how, how's the team? He said, oh, we're most we're the most up-and-down team in the entire world. He's like, we'll beat an unbelievable squad by 20, and then we'll lose to, uh, you know, a Bucknell by 40. And turns out he was dead on. I mean, that's kind of what Tennessee's been. So, unfortunately, that Tennessee win at the time was great. Hasn't shown out to be so well. The Tulsa win was huge because now it looks, at the time, didn't look to be that great. Well, it looks a lot better now. This Houston team is going to be around for a while. I mean, for the rest of the year, what I mean is they are going to absolutely be battling back and forth with us, with Wichita State, um, and with Tulsa for that top spot, and even Memphis you could throw in there. And I don't think uh, Houston's going to actually have any sort of lull um, and. This is going to be, as you said, the quality win that we needed. Um, and I love that the fact is, here's what I saw in this game. Our team is as good, and I always say this and I mean it, as good as every other team on the floor. There is never a time when in that first half I was like, we're, we're, Houston is better than us. No, is Houston more athletic than us? Yes. I mean, my wife said, these are a bunch of track stars out here. I mean, they were leaping like it was – like they were doing the, the, the pole voting, pole vaulting or whatever. It was unbelievable how athletic Houston was. Now I will say, so they absolutely were better athletics, athletes than us, but from the actual play, I mean, they were shooting 45% from beyond the arc. I knew that was always going to come back. And there's a saying I keep telling my wife, she probably gets tired of it, especially when we're playing a team that's doing well at something. I always go, regression is constant. It's, they're always going to regress. There's never going to get, there's no chance that they go from 45% to 65% from beyond the arc. And of course, that's what happened. They started regressing. Their offense wasn't as flowing. And our team just, you know, you see, just kept, kept on grinding, kept on grinding and it slowly came back. So it was a big win. And, but more importantly, it showed me that we really can compete with anybody. It's interesting that you said that because that's why the last time we spoke, I did not think the team could go to the tournament because they weren't showing anything. There, nothing that they had done in the first two months of the season showed that they were capable of beating anybody. They, they were capable of beating anybody but losing to anybody. And I just – you didn't see the potential. You didn't see, like, this team. You just saw a bunch of individual guys that were put together over the summer really quickly and were still learning to play with each other. And now when you think about it, all that all the talk from November, like, oh, you got to give the system time. You got to get Jaron healthy. You got to give these guys time. Have we given them enough time yet? Like, I feel pretty good about where this team is right now and where they're mm-hmm. headed in the future. So maybe it wasn't crazy to just take a step back and be like, okay, all these losses suck, but we do need a little bit of time. I'm just thankful that they're, I think this team controls their destiny now to get to the tournament. So we haven't run out of time on this season. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, we needed, uh, we needed a, a way to just like come together. Jaron looks like he's the best player in the world right now. Minus the free throws. He has been unbelievable in the last three games and there's not another game this season. I mean, until we get to maybe the NCAA tournament that he won't be the best player on the floor at all times. 
Yeah, and and Houston did an excellent job. And what I've been saying, a lot of teams need to keep doing this to get us off of our game and start is take Jaron out of the game. And they absolutely did that. Although in the first half, he actually had more points than he did in the second half. But um, they they Houston does a really good job of taking out your your guards, your mainly your your star guard, and they take out your big man. And so, who's our two best players right now? Cumberland and uh, Vote. And so, taking those two out. We had to find somebody, and that is where Trey Scott comes into play. And, I mean, my God, was he an absolute leader last night. Um, just on the boards, on the passing, um, there were so many just – and it's tough to watch maybe on TV, but I'm able to watch a lot of it being in there. Just his leadership, he's over on the bench talking to every single guy who's coming off the bench. He's He is um, – when the when – the, you know, the, it's a dead ball that he's always huddling up everybody. He's absolutely our leader as far as the team atmosphere. I mean, it, it's, it was great. And then he had some clutch, clutch shots, um, that we needed. He's, he, I was pumped and my wife officially, it's taken us, uh, I don't know how many games now. Uh, what is that? 21 games for her to tell me her favorite player on the team, and it's now officially Trey Scott. She told me that last night. She was, he's yeah. my favorite. I was like, it's only taking you 21 games. She's like, it, that's just what I like to do. I like to cook everything until I decide what it is. <laughs> and he had a huge shot, too. I think it was with like yeah. five or six minutes to go. The announcers are even like, that's a 33% three-point shooter, and he shoots it, and wow, he hits it. Like They were stunned when he hit that, just that wide-open look. I think that was one of the shots that got them to within like two or three points. Um, they were down nine. That three got them within six. Immediately okay. stole the ball, and Keith William dunked it to them within four. And then right after that was the big incident, the long <laughs> stoppage that they were reviewing. I know you asked me what they were reviewing. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of weird rumors and reports about this, but what they were reviewing was a bite. Was Dejan Giroux reportedly bit Keith Williams and also bit Mamadou Dihara also. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. I don't have words. I can't really, like, I don't have commentary on this. It's, I don't understand what would, like, what goes through somebody's mind in that moment, in the heat of the battle, in an unbelievably intense game against a rival, that you're gonna bite their leg. It was so weird because we didn't know <laughs> what happened. Like, we're in the stands. And how would you? <laughs> right. I'm going jump ball, Houston ball. Cause I'm looking at the possession arrow. I'll go, okay, there's a jump ball. What are they looking at? And then I start thinking, well, are they looking at if there was a foul somehow? Or I, I didn't really know. So I texted you. I texted some other people and I was like, what is going on? And, and they didn't even say even the, I went back and I record all the games. So I can go back and kind of watch them just to see, you know, what I missed, uh, maybe commentary. And even the commentators were like, ah, you know, I don't know what they're talking about, whatever. And and they come over and tell them about fighting. It, it was so bizarre. But I've seen multiple camera angles. I mean, he does dig his head right into Mamadou's thigh. So, I mean, if let's a fight that actually happened, I don't know. But I'm glad he got out of the game. I mean, I hate to be dirty like that. But <laughs> get him out uh, because he was killing it. He was absolutely killing it. Um, but no, it, it was very bizarre. The other thing too, kind of that changed the game was, um, Cumberland, uh, switched at halftime. I, I saw this on the post game, um, show, um, and it really took an effect. You could tell about that right around that time really was Cumberland took over Mills as far as defending. And that is a huge thing for Cumberland. I guess he went up to John and said, I want Mills. I want to take care of him because Mills is killing us. Um, and for Jaron to like step up and say, Hey, I want to defend him. He took him out of the game 
And although Jaron didn't score as much, he made so much more of an impact from yes. the plays he was making, which was huge. Um, I just wanted to throw that out there because I really want to get that. And you can see it. I mean, all this nonsense talk in the beginning of the season about, and I'm somewhat guilty of it too, like this body language thing. I mean, we're all pretending to be body language experts and we think he's going through the motions. We think he doesn't care and this and that. You could see he, I always reference it, that look in his eyes, that killer look. He had it all night and he especially had it on defense. Like you just said, he was battling and he was fighting. He wanted Mills. He wanted to get those stops more than he wanted to score. The scoring wasn't there for him. Uh, Kelvin yep. Simpson teams are always known for their defense. It was not Jaron's fault that he only scored 17 points. Houston just had an unbelievable game. And obviously Houston saw him three times last year, three times the year before. I mean, they've seen him so many times that it's really easy to devise a game plan against him. So, and that's what Jubo always said is Jaron can, Jaron can play like Jaron, but we might not win. You need everybody else. And I said, you had the guys like Scott and Voight and my favorite, Zach Harvey. I love the way that this kid played. I love the fact that Brandon had him in there in crunch time. I mean, what did you make of his performance last night? Cause he was awesome. Yeah. So it, uh, it, Brandon was talking about in the post game. I, I love going back and listening to the post game. If you guys ever want some good insight on what the team is doing, go because John will open up uh, right after the game, and he had a quote which was, um, "You know, basketball is the antidote of truth." Is exactly what he said. Basically, if you're busting your ass and you're doing the right things, it'll show. From what I've heard, Zach Harvey has absolutely busted his ass in c- practice got the minutes, and then took those minutes and started to shine. And he's doing everything he needs to do to get back to where he thinks he should be from a freshman perspective because he did have an injury. We can't forget that. I and mean, I think, it's, we do, and I think people do forget. And sorry to cut you off. Yeah, I think people do no. forget that or don't realize that when people are questioning why he's not playing in the beginning of the season. He was reportedly battling some kind of foot injury. So I think yes. that really derailed his first two months. So now what you're seeing from him is – the play of a freshman who's really in like month number two, essentially. Which is what exactly, you're exactly, and that, and he's starting to kind of, uh, I hate saying that, get back in shape or basketball shape or whatever, but get the get the feeling. And you got to think, not only are you injured, you're injured from a senior year in high school, and now you're going to not only play college ball, you're playing Division One college ball in a conference in a, in a league that is it's. You know, black and blue, it's bloody. I mean, I love the ACC or AC because of that. And so he is definitely finding it and I love it. It's the, this is the perfect time to go ahead and find that. Um, and we need it. There was a time and I hate it when he had, we had, um, McNeil out there. It was McNeil, Harvey, Javen, Mamadou and, um, Sorola. Sorola. Oh my God. And I'm like, what are we doing? There's no offense on the floor. Now if Zach can start to, play better and start to do what he needs to do. We can steal minutes all day long with that because, you know, Javen can go ahead and hit his threes and then Zach can, can produce. That's what we needed. Um, and I told, told my wife, I was like, Oh my God. And right then and then I, I think we gave up like four, four or four straight points with that lineup. And, and, and for uh, John had to call a timeout and then throw in Keith, but um, that's what we need. We need him not, He's going to be great in the next couple of years, but right now, Zach Harvey, for the rest of this 2019-20 year, we need him to come in and steal minutes and really, really produce. And if he's going to play like that, go ahead and put him in crunch time. That's why he was in at the end of the game. I love it. I'm all for it. 
I love it too, especially because I have been extremely critical of the bench all season and all of my mm-hmm. previews and recap articles. I have, yeah, I've largely been critical of the bench. And if Harvey starts to play, if Harvey starts to continue to improve, that'll help. Javin Cumberland is just so inconsistent. He only played 10 minutes. I think that was the fewest he's played all year. He was just one of three. Against SMU, he was one of eight. He was two of 12 earlier. Like, he's just, and then against I'm, Temple, he was I'm the most disappointed. I mean, I'm just, I'm the most disappointed in him. He was the one player I was so jazzed up on. I think everybody is. I know it's tough. Literally, your role is to shoot three pointers, but he's not doing that. And you know, I'm not asking to do anything else. Just make them. And he's no, not even that, doing but that. But that's the issue is that he doesn't do anything. And, and he doesn't really do anything else. So if he's not no. hitting the threes, you know, he's not really getting assists. He's not really rebounding. He's not the best defender. So he's not going to do much if he's not hitting threes. And I say it was one of those nights where you're not going to get much on threes. Chris McNeil has not given Cincinnati anything productive in a long time. Um, Sorola yeah. has gone over 10 minutes just twice, I believe, or three times in conference play. You know, he hasn't given a lot of minutes since he came back from that early season injury. No. Diara, I am so proud of Mamadou Diara, only because I've been extremely critical of him. Not necessarily on the site, mostly in like texts and uh, tweets because I don't want to air my, my issues <laughs> with certain players, but Mamadou Diara has played extremely well. It doesn't always show it in the box scores, but it's the you effort. can see that it he's doing the all these little, yeah, yep. the little things. He's trying so hard. He He's a really good rebounder, excellent defender. Yeah, he, I mean, he commits bad fouls, but everyone in this league commits bad fouls. And this league has bad refs. Um, I love the way that he's playing. He gave them 10 minutes yesterday, but every time he plays 10 minutes, it's like 10 of the hardest fought minutes you'll see of anybody on this team. So this was the guy who I honestly just gave up on earlier this season. I didn't think he was giving them anything. And John continues to go back to him and it's, it's validated. It's, he's been really good, but yeah, I mean, just the bench in general just continues to be a concern for me long-term on this team. Yeah. He also had, and this wasn't necessarily a flop, but I watched it and I was like, Oh, mama dude, that was a very smart play. I think he was going up for a rebound. It might've been on the offensive side. The guy didn't touch him, but he literally flailed. Like as he went up, he like moved his arms in a way. I, I, I was right there. I saw it. And he gets called for the foul, the the defender. And you could tell he was pissed. He's like, I didn't touch Mamadou. Mamadou acted was the best acting I'd seen. So I don't know if anybody else noticed it, but there was one, and I don't remember when it was. It was second half. And I started just, I stood up and started applauding. I was like, Mamadou is like, that's great. Like, that was a great play. Completely fooled the refs, got the foul called on him, and uh it, it worked. But the refs were atrocious, so they were cool. calling anything and everything. No. They were atrocious, and I, I texted you about this. This is shortly after the biting incident. I, I forget if it was Fabian White or who it was on Houston. They were called for an offensive foul or for a travel or for whatever it was. The guy threw an elbow. I yeah. I don't think it's dirty. I don't think much of it. I I don't know. I'm like an old-school basketball person who watched the NBA in the 90s, so I don't really take that stuff too like personally and too seriously. But that is the rule that we have established in college is that if you throw an elbow – whether it's purposeful or incidental. And this was definitely incidental, but it was also definitely an elbow that almost caught with Boyd's face and with Scott on the side. That should have been a flagrant. They should have reviewed it. It, Fortunately, I think that was when Cincinnati had just taken the lead and was getting the ball back. So it didn't actually have a huge 
factor on the outcome of the game, but man, these refs every single week, these refs are just well, horrible. I and, and I will say that the refs are bad. Like I was blaming them for the Mem- I wasn't blaming them for the Memphis loss because they missed a ton of calls on both sides. Like they're just bad. They're not costing Cincinnati games. They're just really, really bad at their job. Absolutely. And it's not, it, it, I have, there was one time where we got called for a foul and I was like, I was not upset that we got called for the foul. It was, I don't know, it was a travel. It was a travel on Chris Road. He gets the ball down low and they call a travel on it. Literally on the opposite side, you had, um, it was it Chris Harris, uh, for Houston did the exact same play and they didn't call travel. I don't care about calling the travel on us, but call it both ways. That's all I'm saying. Like, you're right. That is a travel on Chris boat. I'm not upset about that. The whole crowd started pooing, but I was upset. Of, just call it on the other side too. Yeah. Just make it fair. They're bad on both sides. No, it's, um, a, it's a consistency was, thing. Yeah. It, that's all it is. It's consistent. And you said the elbow. I mean, I went back and watched on TV. I couldn't really see it from the angle I was at, at the arena, but that was clearly an elbow right to Trey and they didn't even look at it. It was, uh, ah, yeah, it's just, very it's weird. I don't think it's, I don't, Think that's a dirty play. I don't think it was purposeful, but it, no. is, it is. It's it's the rule. Got, that that's the rule established. And you even I know Samson was livid about this in the post game. I mean, the free throw differential was thirty one to ten. I don't know if the refs were screwing Houston. I think they were screwing both teams. But honestly, in a game that physical, uh, that intense, it probably shouldn't be thirty one to ten. Um, but that's um, another. But that's another but, thing that I do want to point out is that this team gets bitten. Way too, no, no pun, pun intended. intended. Yeah. Cincinnati oftentimes shoots themselves in the foot with these fundamental mistakes. They missed 12 free throws. It's they, tough. Jaron missed seven. My wife is in there yelling, like, I don't understand. Jaron's the best player in the world. Why does he miss tough. free throws? Like, how does this happen? But I'm thankful that it didn't cost them the game, but that's, we've seen, we saw it cost them games earlier this season. They need to clean that up in a hurry. Because they do getting it. fouled. And that's the way that they play. I mean, Jaron plays for contact. He plays against and, the line, which is great. And I love, I love when he does it. I'd rather see him drive and get to the basket and get fouled. If you're not going to hit the free throws, then it doesn't matter. Well, I don't know what the hell Kelvin's upset. Kelvin can suck it. I hate uh, Kelvin. He's always Samson, upset. By the way. He's, he's, he's an idiot, but. If you're an Indiana the, what, guy. I know Indiana people. So yeah. Yes, we don't like yeah. Kelvin Sampson. What the, the <laughs> team wasn't even close to getting fouls because they were draining threes and, and mid-range jumpers all day. Of course you're not going to have as many free throws. <laughs> our, our, our scheme is either threes or drive the lane or dunk it or uh, right around the hoop. It's, that's it. John Brandon has said basically, I either want three point shots or I want right underneath the rim shots. That's it. So of course we're going to have more free throws than him, Calvin. Dumbass. But anyways, going back to the free throws. Yeah, you got to make them. I mean, and I just think it was an off night. I, I'm not going it, to, it is what it is. It didn't affect it. Um, Jaron is one of the best free throw shooters we got. I'm not worried about it. I think next game he's going to come back out and make. Nine out of ten. Let's hope. But you know, I, I'm not. I'm not worried about. It. I think this is an off night. You just have those nights. I mean, those balls were damn near in the bottom of the rim, and they were falling out. So it wasn't like he was airballing them or completely off. They just they weren't falling for him. But you know, what? you make it up in other ways, aka defense and passing. Um, and I mean, I mean, he was doing that. I mean, they they were starting to get open looks, and that's that's what changes the game. So um, I do get the the my biggest thing with Jaron at the line is the charges. He has got to learn to, I get it. 
But man, he is a damn bulldozer when he runs in the middle of that lane. And of course, he's going to get, <laughs> it's like 50% chance it's a charge every time. And the it's one like, at just, the end of the game was the right call. 100% the right call. And I was not upset with the call. I was upset with what the hell are you doing? Right. You've got time to waste. There were still 12 seconds left on the shot clock when he did that. When, so. Speaking of time on the clock, when Caleb Mills took that three, did it feel like five minutes to you? Because it felt like an hour. Like, what do you I mean, at the end of the game? That, the, the three at the end of the game, I think the ball was in the air for five minutes. It just it felt oh. like an eternity. And well, he, there was, were like, was, a thousand scenarios yeah. going through my mind as he shot it. It was a two that he shot. So his his foot was on the I So here's what was happening. I think he got his foot back. He, like, did a little step at the very end. It might have, I don't know, maybe it was a two. I thought he, it was a two because I went back and watched it, but I could be wrong. I think it was a two to tie. So what happened was they shoot the free throw. My brain immediately goes, and when they, they, they got it, I was immediately looking for the three. So when he shoots it, I was more focused. I didn't honestly even watch the shot. I was looking at his feet to see, is that being on the arc or not? And it wasn't. And I was like, okay. And then it fell off the rim, but my, I did, I did a Jaron Cumberland where I, I totally forgot about the, uh, the time and all of a sudden we get the ball in the, in the, and the clock goes off. I'm like, Oh my God, we just won. But, um, it did that, that nine seconds felt so long. I thought they were going to do is I thought they were going to make the free throw foul us. And it was going to be like those nine seconds was going to last like 10, 10 minutes. Um, right. and it, it felt like hit it. one or two, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 But, uh, Hey, they won. It's all that matters, baby. They won. I mean, this was an unbelievable week. SMU is a good team. They're near the top of the yes. standings. Yeah. Uh, so just a great, great week. I think, I honestly think next week is even bigger just because it's two road games and we've seen this team struggle a lot on the road. So they go to Wichita State Thursday and for the last time ever, thank God, uh, Connecticut mm-hmm. on Sunday. The Wichita State game is huge. I mean, they, they had a heartbreaking loss yesterday, lost at the buzzer to first place Tulsa. Um, they can, they're capable of winning this game. They've won in Wichita the last two years. And if Jaron plays the way that Jaron plays, they're going to win the game. They can lose it though and still sure. make the NCAA tournament. I think they now have this cushion, but boy, what a win would do for this team and this program to win again in Wichita. I would, I got to look this up. I'll, I'll look it up before Thursday. I would be stunned if a team has ever won three straight games at Wichita State, like three straight seasons. Ooh, that's There's a good no stat. No way that's ever happened. So they beat Wichita State. I think that projects them to then, if they beat Wichita State, they're going to go into Connecticut, win there. They'll beat Memphis at home because we're not losing at home the rest of the year. I can just tell you that. And We go to that's... East Carolina, win there. We win at home against Central Florida. We win at home against Wichita State. They, what I think the Wichita State win away does is gives us the huge confidence to go into Houston and win on March 1st. That's that's my thought. Absolutely. But I also think that you have a cushion. So we have the seven losses now. This team has made the NCAA tournament twice over the last couple of years with nine regular season losses. So ah, okay. I think they can get away. And I'm not saying – I'm not advocating them to do it. By all means, please go win. ahead and get those two. Yeah, but, they, but they can lose to Houston and Wichita on the road as long as they beat them at home. As long as they win every other game, it's still asking for a lot. But yeah, let's see what happens Thursday. Let's see what happens with Wichita reeling a little bit. If they can bounce back from that heartbreaker, and Cincinnati can keep the momentum. 
season-high four-game winning streak. Um, I feel good about Thursday. I feel a lot better than I did about it a couple of weeks ago. But, you know, beyond Thursday and then playing at Houston, I mean, there's nothing scary about the schedule. They get they, they do get Memphis at home in a couple of weeks. Memphis won one of the most bizarre games I've ever seen yesterday. I don't know if you know about this game. They had I 24. Did not. They beat UConn 70 to 63. They had 24 turnovers and hit 21 field goals. I have never seen a team turn the ball over more than they hit a shot. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and we know I did that because we that. saw what they did a couple weeks ago. And I think, real quick, the key to beating Wichita, point blank, is don't go down by double digits in the first half. They did it at Memphis. They did it on Saturday. They were able to overcome it against Houston. They couldn't come all the way back against Memphis. What helped was having that great crowd last night. They're not going to have a great crowd on Thursday. So they need to hang around in the first half, like most importantly, cannot trail by double digits. Need to take the crowd out of it. Um, and yeah, I, 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 I feel it. good about that game. I do too. I love it. I, this is a big win. Uh, enjoy it, folks, for at least the next few days, and then let's 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 get on the on the win train for Wichita State. I mean, I, I I know Greg Marshall and John Brandon have a pretty good relationship. I believe Marshall was the coach at Florida, uh, or he did something, or maybe Marshall he was somehow involved with John Brandon. I know that um, before, so they they have a relationship prior to this, and so um, it'll be good. It'll be might maybe a nice little rivalry starting up. Um, which we, we really need one in the ACC or AAC. I mean, I, I know it's kind of Houston and Memphis maybe, but I like that. I love the Wichita State UC games. I always, those are always kind of my favorite because you get that classic vibe of, you know, of, of real blue blood, good basketball squads in the last five years is what I'm, you know, cause Wichita State's been pretty good for the last, what, five, ten years. So yeah, that'll be a fun one. Ago. I'm looking forward to it. And two years ago was awesome. I mean, two years ago, they beat Cincinnati and snapped that very long home winning streak. Yep. Uh, then the Bearcats got them back and won the outright conference title on their home Absolutely. court, snapping their long home winning streak. Swept them actually in three games last year. So yeah, that's a budding rival. I consider Houston by far our biggest rival in basketball. I mean, just the simple fact that we've played them the last two years in the True. conference championship game. I mean, the intensity of yesterday, I just, I love it. I, I I love the fact that we actually have real rivalries in basketball as opposed to football. We're still kind of trying to, to find ourselves in this conference. It's true. It's true. Yeah, but I'm looking forward to it, man. It's uh time to celebrate. All right, so when everyone listens, it's going to be after the Super Bowl, but what's your Super Bowl predictions? I'm going 49ers. I have family ties to the 49ers. I know Travis Kelsey is our guy, but I'm going with the upset and with San Francisco. Upset of what, like one point? I think is the spread, something like that. I think it's uh, one and a half. I one yeah, and a half. I'm going San Fran okay. outright. I'm going San Fran outright. I'm taking the Chiefs. I just, uh, I think it's Andy Reid's time. Um, and uh, I still, <laughs> the 49ers are in the Super Bowl. They were I the know. number one seed. <laughs> they did everything, and I still don't believe in them. I'm like. 49ers aren't that good this year. I keep saying that every, every week I kept going, well, the 49ers aren't that good. They're not that good. They're in the Super Bowl. I'm like, they're not that good. So watch them prove me wrong and win the whole thing. But uh, I got Chiefs. You got Niners. Good luck to you, my friend. I'm more, I'm more concerned about the hundreds of dollars of prop bets that I have paid. <laughs> That's where, where my focus is. But, um, real quick, I wanted to do this in the beginning, kind of got sidetracked. I actually want to address why I missed the first 30 minutes of that game last night. Yes. Um, 
there's going to be a baby Schneid this summer. Hey, congratulations. And last night I was trying to find out if this kid was going to play for John Brandon or Michelle Clark Hurd. And do we know? We know that she is going to be one of the top players in the women's 2038 hey. recruiting class. All right. Congratulations. we got what two baby Bearcats coming. Yeah, very exciting. Uh, so I, I didn't miss it because I was lazy. I should have addressed that earlier. I missed it for some pretty <laughs> serious family obligations. But I actually wanted to address the, the, the women's fact for the simple fact that I watched that whole women's game on Thursday. I know you said your New Year's resolution was to watch more than just basketball, men's basketball and football. I watched the whole women's game on Thursday. It was really exciting. Uh, unfortunately, things kind of went sideways in the second half and the third quarter, but they had an unbelievable second quarter. They outscored UConn 22 to nine. They trailed by four at the half. You know, UConn, they hit all their shots in the second half. They ended up winning by 30. Cincinnati's now 0-21 against UConn. Who knows? Maybe they'll get them next time. UConn absurdly has not lost an AAC game uh, in like the last five and a half years, which is Jeez. crazy. And right now I'm trying to track the women. They're actually up by one against South Florida, who's another very good team. So there you go. Well, they played really well. You can just see the progress. I mean, this. I think I remember last year they lost like 95 to 38. To UConn. I mean, those are the yeah. scores that we're used to. So, yeah. You know, well, I'll tell you this. is ugly, but they trailed by four at the half. So, yeah. Well, I, my wife's a huge basketball fan. Uh, she played basketball for high school and in her high school. And, uh, so I, um, got us tickets for the UC, um, UConn game. And that'll be, uh, February 26th. My wife, who we have an awesome family calendar. Um, so she put it on the calendar. Um, and I didn't triple check. We walked and drove all the way to Clifton on Thursday night and walked all the way to the, the <laughs> doors of Fifth Third Arena. My son, my wife, and I decked out in our UC gear, ready to watch the game to realize it was the away game. So, oh, man. Uh, <laughs> but we didn't miss the game because it's in February. But uh, we, I have been paying attention to women's, uh, but I just didn't even look to see if it was home or away. <laughs> so, but we were, we, I did watch the game as well, um, because I was like, well, we might as well watch the game. So we went, uh, but uh, we did uh, get back home and 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 watch it. But uh, yeah, we were, uh, we missed it. Uh, <laughs> that's my story of the day. That but, is uh, great. That's that's awesome. Congrats on the baby, and and yeah, the team's looking really good. Um, like I said, they. they uh, the, they're, I, it, Michelle Clark Hart, I'm pumped. I really love everything she's doing. They're getting good wins. Oh, they're up, they're up now. Um, 22 seconds left. They're up by two, by the way. Um, home to nice. South Florida. So let's hopefully they can pull this out. That'd be huge. Florida's a good team. This would be a huge win. I think just looking at their record and I, I don't have a full, honestly, understanding of women's basketball, but I think the ship may have sailed, unfortunately, on an at large bid. I mean, maybe they go on a massive run. To end the season, I don't know, but I, I I'm under the impression that the AAC is not a very strong women's basketball conference, so I don't know that an NCAA tournament bid is going to be in the cards for them. But hey, they went to the Elite Eight of the NIT last year, so would not there be a go. horrible yeah. consolation. Absolutely, I'm turning on the game right now. I can give you a quick play by play. Uh, uh, I don't know. They're 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 looking at something. As far as whatever, but uh, yeah, fifty-seven, fifty-five, ESPNU. If you want to turn it on, into the game. Oh, 
I'm gonna watch probably, it. Probably better than watching Super Bowl coverage for the next <laughs> ten hours. But absolutely, um, yeah, good things happening with the women's team. Great things happening with the men's basketball team, and then of course a lot happening with football and recruiting and the transfer portal. Um, yeah, just a lot of exciting stuff to be a Bearcat and baseball starts here. The baseball team with yeah. Boston West here, so good stuff. We'll definitely be on way more frequently now, especially as we go into March. Um, predictions for this week: Wichita and Connecticut, two and zero, one and one. Two and zero, I like it. Two and zero after this win, I think. Uh, it, and, and John said it. Even address the Wichita State game. Um, our emotions have to be in control, and if our emotions are in control, we have a much better outcome. And so, if they can go down. Um, to go over to Kansas, have the motions in control. Going to Wichita is tough. You get in there, you play as well as you can play. They are more talented. They are a better team. They can win that game. They win there. I don't even want to think about Connecticut because that's a W. So I say 2-0. and I'm going to go 1-1. One and one. I mean, yeah, going to Wichita is very tough. I mean, that's why, look, that's why UConn's leaving the conference. They're tired of playing in a nonsense state like Kansas. Like, they'd obviously rather play in you know, Wisconsin and Nebraska over a state like Kansas against a team like Wichita State. So I completely understand why they'd be scared to play Wichita. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Who, who wouldn't want to rather play Creighton? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, good stuff. I'm looking forward to UConn because I despise UConn. So I'm excited to beat them for the last time and then just kind of wash our hands and move on. But, yeah, great, good stuff. Big week ahead. Thank you all for listening, and go Bearcats.